0: Welcome back to What You'll Learn. My name is Adam Ashton,
1: and my name is Adam Jones. Today we are doing a book by Ramit Sethi. I will teach you to be rich. No guilt, no excuses. Just a six-week program that works.
0: I love it, mate. We uh, on our survey, WhatYou'llLearn com survey. We have like you know what sort of books you're most interested in, and uh, personal finance is number one. And we've only done very, very, very few personal finance books, so we thought let's do another personal finance
1: book. Straight off the bat, it's a very tough book to be. Carrying around the street. <laughs> when you're sitting at a cafe and you and you like even just before this, when we were doing our notes, you were sitting at a cafe and you had this book, Face Up, and with this title, you just look like a desperate person who's just, it is. Who's just in an, credit card debt and just struggling at life.
0: It's an uncomfortable title, I Will Teach You To Be Rich, and Ramit even says that in like the very first line, he says, it, it just sounds like a big fat scam. You know, some of the other books millionaire fast is a bit of this bit of the same as a hard one to carry around mate um, and seduction with like chicks in the front a different reason but also uncomfortable to carry around but yeah this is one of those awkward ones
1: absolutely so yeah just read this in your own in the comfort of your own home and, <laughs> and don't bring it out if don't, you can read it. don't let people see you reading this <laughs> yeah, so it's a book that's got the total of six different steps on how to get on top of your finances
0: I think it's important man to take control of your finances whether you need to get out of debt or whether you need to save more money or you want to buy a house, I think it's pretty important to get control of your personal finances, definitely.
1: And as early as possible as well. So with a bit of a... He compares it with food and weight gain. So weight gain doesn't happen to you overnight. If it did, it would be easy for us to see it coming and take the steps to avoid it. So with weight gain, ounce by ounce, he creeps up on us while we're driving to work, while we're sitting on our ass 8 to 10 hours a day on the computer. And it's the same kind of thing with with managing your money.
0: Yeah, to further this food analogy, you know, he says that most of us don't track our calorie intake and it's like our personal finances. We don't track our spending. We eat more than we know, but we also spend more than we know. So obviously this uh, analogy of food and personal finance very tightly aligned. Also that people love to argue the minor points uh, and there's a whole bunch of crap out there essentially from all these so-called experts who are all telling you different things. But he says at the end of the day, 99.99% of people only need to know two things in order to lose weight, and that's eat less and move more. So by the same token, 99.99% of people only need to know very few simple things in order to take control of their personal finances, which is what his book is here to show us.
1: So he says, who wins at the end of the day? The self-satisfied people who heatedly debate some of these obscure details about finances, or the people who just jump jump in and get started and just skip the entire debate altogether.
0: Loaded question, mate. I think you know the answer. Yeah. it's people who get started, get started early, and do the simple stuff and stop talking crap.
1: He talks about a chick called Smart Sally and Dumb Dan. So we talk about Sally a few times throughout this book, and uh, you know, in, in the end, I don't think Sally works out to be the smartest person in the world. But in this case, she's all right. So Sally begins investing when she's twenty five years old, doing a hundred bucks a month for a decade with seven percent return. At sixty-five years old, she's worth one hundred and thirty-five grand just for ten years of investing.
0: Yeah. So after that first ten years, she was putting a hundred bucks a month for the first ten years, and then at age thirty-five, she stopped putting in any more money and just let it grow.
1: Mm, and big dump, bad dump. Dan he actually started when he's thirty-five and invested for thirty years, so three times as long, and he made one hundred and twenty-one k. So he made less money than Sally, even though he invested three times as much over yeah. three times as long. Yep. So getting in, getting in early is the moral of the story. Yeah,
0: get in early, start Tom early. down the interest. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Put the excuses aside he says. So, you know, there's plenty of reasons to not do this. You know, you might think, "Oh, it's too hard, it takes too much time, it's too much effort, oh, I don't want to do it." But you have got to put all that aside and just realize that the most important time to start is now.
1: The big t- the big key takeaways of the book is is number one the eighty-five percent solution. So getting started is more important than becoming an expert.
0: Yeah. So just, you know, don't don't have to get it one hundred percent right. Just get it eighty-five percent right and, and start it, which is better than trying to wait and get it one hundred percent right.
1: Also, it's okay to make mistakes. It's better to make them now at the start with a little bit of money, so that when you have a lot more, you've got the learnings and lessons, so you know what to avoid.
0: Third key message: ordinary actions get ordinary results. So if you want extraordinary results, you need to take extraordinary actions.
1: And number four, there's a big difference between being sexy and rich. And we're going to get into that toward the end with active and passive investing. But the guys on TV who sound like they're superstars, they're real idiots. They don't really know jack shit.
0: <laughs> and number five, spend extravagantly on the things you love and cut costs mercilessly on the things that you don't need.
1: And that's, uh comes down to conscious spending, which we'll, we'll get into. So the first chapter, he kicks it off. With the first thing you need to do is optimising your credit cards. How to beat the credit card companies at their own game.
0: So there's a bit of stuff in here which uh, he says that you know maybe we don't agree with every single thing, but he says that you know having a good credit management system and managing your credit and having a good credit score is vitally important uh, and far greater impact than some. Other advice you might get, you know, if you stop drinking lattes, you'll save four bucks a day, and you'll end up with an extra twelve hundred bucks per year or whatever. But he's saying that managing your credit cards is
1: way more important
0: than that four dollars a day.
1: Managing your credit will mean you will really impact your credit rating and your credit score. So, with a good credit score and credit rating, it means you're a lower risk to lend money to for the banks. So, if the banks think you're a higher risk with a really poor credit score then you're going to have to pay higher interest rates. So on your biggest purchase, per- purchases of your life where you go into a lot of debt, which might be a house for some people, it might be their car, if you pay just a slightly greater percentage of interest mm. on that, it adds up to be a shitload of money over a long time. So this is a big thing that you that yeah. you can take control of. If you
0: think about it, that if you take out you know $500,000 mortgage and you're either paying 4%... Interest or 5% interest, it might sound small, but over 25, 30-year mortgage, that is absolutely massive. And so he says that the first thing that people do that's going to significantly impact their credit score is credit cards. So the worst thing you can do is get in a lot of credit card debt, miss payments, don't pay it, And then you're just in an absolute world of hurt for the rest of your life.
1: Yes. And then with the cards, if you pay it off, it goes the other way. You start getting a good rating. But I think he sails into some pretty risky risky waters down here, you know, having a personal finance book. And he says with credit cards, you know, he obviously recommends them. And he says two to three is a good rule of thumb, but definitely don't go over one a year.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I think this is if you were someone who is really good at managing your money and can manage the two to three credit cards, maximise the rewards that you get from them, you're not making all these errors that he talks about that most people make, it's a good idea. But I think for ninety eight percent of people
1: Oh mate, I reckon that's and <laughs> Ninety nine and a
0: half percent of people, they're gonna get these two to three credit cards and think, Oh, that's a nice new pair of shoes. I might grab those. Oh, I don't have enough money. Oh, I'll just whack on the credit card and pay it off later. It's, a, it's definitely dangerous territory. If you do it and manage it properly 100%, it's great. If you don't, then that's a risky, Mate, very risky. One,
1: one a year is just is next level, two to three. I think that's a, bit, a little bit over the top if you ask me, but it might be a different culture in the, in the old USA. We know they love their debt, so do Aussies. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that, that's a good segue to the next part. And It's all about paying off your debt aggressively.
0: Yeah, so there's, he says here, there's five steps to ridding yourself of credit card debt. I think this is pretty vitally important. For anyone who's in credit card debt, probably the best thing that you can do is to start paying off this debt. So the first step is to figure out how much debt you have in the first place. So he says just make a simple list or a spreadsheet or a table of just, you know, the name of the institution or the credit card, the total amount of debt that you owe, the percentage interest rate you're paying on that debt and the minimum monthly payments. So that's the first step is just get everything all in one place and work out how much do you actually owe and what's the percentage interest rates on each of those things? Step two is you've got to decide which to pay first. So there's two options here. The first option is the standard method. And what you do in the standard method is you pay the minimum on all of these cards. And then you, with the, so obviously you have to pay the minimum on every single card. And then with whatever money you have left, you pay that extra money to the card with the highest interest rate. So that's the first option. The second option is a snowball method, which is what Dave Ramsey and um, the Barefoot Investor, you know, he called domino your debts. So you pay, again, the minimum on, on everything. And then anything you have left over, you pay to, on the lowest balance first. So what that means is you will eliminate one card in its entirety and then move on to the next one. So there's two methods. Ramsey says, look, he doesn't care. Do whichever one, pick whichever one you want. Either pay the highest interest or pay the minimum balance, uh, the lowest balance. Just do whatever as long as you pick one and stick to it and do it. Obviously, pay the minimum and then everything else you have, just throw it all at this debt to get it down as quickly as possible.
1: This third step is negotiating down the interest rate that you pay on your credit card debt. So, if you call the bank and negotiate down the interest rate as low as possible, you threaten to leave, you threaten to move to another bank and so forth, then then you'll be able to get it down a great deal as well.
0: And that's like credit cards can be massive, man. If it's 21, 22% interest, if you can get it down to 16% interest, it's still ridiculously high. But that's a good a good starting point. If you can get it down as low as possible, it means you can just pay your debt off quicker. And number
1: four, decide where the money to pay a few credit cards will come from.
0: So he says there's a few things you can do like balance transfers or taking out a secured loan, but that's bad. Uh, not bad, it's, they're options. But he says the best way is to reduce your spending prioritize debt repayment so stop spending money on shit and realize that this is the most important thing you can do with your money and and do it
1: back to dumb dan and smart sally so dan borrows five grand at 16 percent interest his minimum repayments will take him 27 years so it's unbelievable what they can take so he pays five and a half grand in interest in total smart sally borrows the same amount but doubles the month the minimum monthly repayment and pays it off in two years mate i know. no s- how smart Sally is in, in first place. So it depends who you ask, but yeah. getting in credit card debt in the first place does <laughs> cause more harm than good. For Mate, a, she's probably not 100
0: uh, smart. She's much smarter than dumb Dan. Mate, she's paying the extra. Fucking idiot, yeah. <laughs> Dan.
1: And pretty dumb, Sally. <laughs> and then, and then
0: step five is get started. Start today. Pick your system, whatever it is, and just do it. And bloody get started and start knocking this shit off.
1: Chapter two was beating the banks. Open high interest, low hassle accounts, and negotiate fees. Like an Indian. So, Remit's Indian. Yeah. <laughs> and he likes it. <laughs> it wasn't just yeah. a racist slur there. It wasn't That's, uh, that's Rameet's words.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, mate, there's uh, basic takeaways here. There's a long chapter with a few takeaways. Just make sure that your bank accounts have got no fees. Um, you've got the highest interest rates possible. Uh, they're easy to access and transfer money around and you're not paying any overdrawn fees. That, that's pretty much it, mate. Open up your bank accounts. Pick the best mm-hmm. ones. Don't be paying monthly fees when you don't have
1: to. Yeah, you don't want that. Number chapter three was getting ready to invest. Open your pension account and stocks and shares, ISA, even with just 50 bucks. Now, one of the big things older people regret is not investing when they're much younger. And you got some statistics here. So 18 to 25-year-olds, when they're really young, they only uh, contribute... 30 sorry 31.3% contribute only 5.6% of their salary and they've got a median balance of only 1280 pounds and the next rung up so the 26 to 41 year olds only 63% contribute and 42 and up 72 contribute so what he's saying is is all the older people when you're you know hitting retirement they just wish that they did when they're young mm. and at the moment just the reality is young people aren't investing in Australia, luckily enough we do have superannuate annu annuation funds, so we have to invest. But for USA it's more of an opt in service.
0: Yeah. So that's it, man. Basically just the main takeaway from this chapter is get started, get started early, start investing, putting away whatever you can. He says, you know, with his little fifty bucks, but obviously putting away after you've paid off your debt, putting away money into investments into the stock market. Let that compound interest take over.
1: Interestingly enough, man, he says twenty one percent of young people believe they'll get rich by winning the lottery, which is just not. It's not and three percent via an insurance settlement. Yeah, so
0: they think they'll just get hit by a car yeah. and get a nice payout. I think insurance <laughs>
1: settlement's probably easier than lottery. I reckon. Get
0: away with that? Not ideal like, either. Either way, mm. chapter four I really liked, which was conscious spending, and so having this conscious spending plan of what you. Do spend money on and what you don't spend money on
1: so budgeting is the worst word in the history of the world so for the last 50 years budgeting has been a battleground for all the snobby personal finance writers who try to shove tracking system down everyone's throats and you know mm. the barefoot investor talked about that as well but the only catch here is that nobody ever does budgeting
0: yeah so as like the barefoot investor we did he had his buckets System, um, the different buckets you put your money on, and Ramit has got like he suggests like an envelope system, very very similar thing. But he says that it's not about being cheap; it's about being frugal. So you got to consciously decide what things are important to you and what things aren't. So if it's like you know every day at lunch, do you want to buy a two dollar fifty Coke to go with your lunch? Is that important to you, or would you rather skip the Coke and then spend fifteen bucks on the weekend to go to a movie? instead so it's the same amount of money what would you rather would you rather have a coke each day or would you rather go to the movie on the weekend you know ramit says he's not judging either way just as long as you consciously choose if you're just unconsciously choosing and being influenced by your mates because everyone gets a coke so you get a coke that's bad but if you realize that i strongly value buying a coke for lunch and that's good
1: that's it. So that's the way that yeah, values. Buy Coke. It. <laughs> At the end of the day, Coke's no good either way. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, it's all about values, understanding for yourself what's going to give you maximum utility. And if you mm. know where all your money's flowing, you can take a step back and go, actually, I don't really like cans of Coke. I mm. like beers on the weekend. Yeah. So you might start cutting and buying your lunch from Monday to Friday. So you're dividing diverting more of your money to your going to the bar on the Saturday night. You know, that's fine as well. So Exactly. It's just consciously choosing where you're going to spend all your money
0: again there's no judgment as to what you choose as long as you consciously choose so a couple of ideas he suggests to help you decide you know what things are important to you he says like do a bit of an 80 20 analysis on where your money goes so which areas do you overspend which areas do you underspend which areas are you spending money on that you're getting the best rewards from so like for you and me it's probably if we looked it out bank accounts are probably spending a shitload of money on books and so obviously we're consciously choosing that books are more important to us than beers on a Friday night.
1: Yes. And when it comes to saving, he says save for a goal. So when you try and save five bucks for just the sake of five bucks, it's not a real powerful motivator. Yeah. He says if you've got a goal for say twenty grand down payment of a home, it's no longer just five bucks, it's one step toward a bigger financial goal that you have. So again, you know, setting goals is a good motivator for yourself.
0: Exactly. And it might be that if you've got a special account that's your, you know, holiday account and you think each year you're going to spend five thousand bucks on a holiday. When you decide to save that, you know, rather than spending fifteen bucks for lunch one day, you think I'm going to put fifteen bucks towards my holiday. You're not thinking I'm saving fifteen bucks; you think I'm putting fifteen bucks towards my holiday. So it's just like a good psychological hack that's going to make you
1: stick to this plan much uh, more convincingly. Chapter five is save while you're sleeping. So making your accounts work together automatically and. It's basically just saying just just set up the automatic payments so the money moves around between some of the envelopes you might set up.
0: Mm-hmm. So he's saying if you've got like say you've got your envelope for rent, you got your envelope for bills, you got your envelope for holiday, you got your envelope for just everyday splurge spending. He's saying that rather than, you know, once a week, once a month, once a fortnight, whenever you get paid, rather than every month going in or every week going in and moving your money around. He's saying set up automatic payments. So you know how much your rent is, you know how much your bills are, and you set up these automatic payments so that on the same day every week or month that you get paid, it shoots off
1: the money automatically. You never see it, you never touch it, and you're never tempted to overspend in certain areas. So you manage all your finances now, you've paid down all your debt and all that. So now it comes down to actually investing, and he's got some really good information here about investing. I think these are huge takeaways. If You've never heard this stuff before. And it's all about the myth of financial expertise. So why professional wine tasters and professional stock pickers are absolute clueless. They're idiots, d- he, despite what we might think of them.
0: We all, we all look up to experts and think that experts and uh, influencers are the be all and end all and they know everything. But there's a funny test, uh, I don't know exactly what it was, but these... Uh, wine connoisseurs who, you know, they were meant to be the best in the world with the most refined palates. And this guy came in uh, and said he was going to give them a test between two different types of wine. And so they were meant to give their tasting notes. So he gave them a white wine and a red wine. And so, you know, the white wine, they had all the white wine things, like I was very fruity and floral elements and things. And then the red wine, it was, you know, uh, musky undertones and all this stuff that you'd associate with red wines. But the catch was both of them with the exact same wine and the other one, he just put red food dye in. <laughs> so, the red wine was actually white wine with red food dye in it and all these wine experts, none of them even knew the difference. So, basically, experts are fucking idiots, oh. especially wine experts and also stuff pickers. <laughs> well, yeah.
1: So, you can have the fanciest degrees from the fanciest schools. So, you know, so doctors and stuff like that, they're actually experts because they're actually giving you some real value but... Um, when it comes to financial experts, are they actually giving you value? And he breaks it down, and they're really not. They're absolutely mm. fucking hopeless. <laughs> so you might think when it comes to interest rate allocation goals, expense ratios, diversification, people just think, "Oh, this is way too much for me to deal with." But really, which think we're about I'll, to get into. I think
0: oh, I'll pay a financial advisor. They know better.
1: Because fund man- managers and anyone who t- attempts to predict the market are uh, actually no better than the Joe Blow amateurs, Mm. if they do follow a a few certain steps.
0: Yeah, so this myth of financial expertise and experts being able to pick the market and get uh, the best returns possible is really a myth. And, you know, like the book we did, The Smartest Investment Book You'll Ever Read, uh, was a lot about this as well, yeah.
1: That's right. So these financial advisors, they regard to where the market's going, up or down, uh, how interest rates and oil production and a butterfly flapping its wings in China will affect the stock market... So, it's all about timing the market. So, they think they can buy a stock when it looks like it's it's undervalued and low at a certain time and then when it goes up higher than what it should be, then they sell it. So, it's all about waiting for the perfect timing to buy and sell a different stock. But, unfortunately, no one can pick where the market is actually going. But still, the talking heads on TV make all these grandiose predictions, right? But they're never hold, held accountable, so one day they're saying, oh, this stock's doing, it's all going up and it's yeah. all happy, happy buy, days. Buy, buy. Yeah, yeah. And then a week later, you know, they're not asked about, oh, what about that stock you predicted last week? <laughs> you know, they just forgotten about, they're on to the next one. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: They feed off all these fluctuations, you know, oh, this went up 2% today and they think they're heroes and, you know, they're all about high-frequency trading, about buying low, selling high, um, you know, turning over all these trades, You know, they've got all these stock picking advices. They've got all these newsletters saying buy this, sell this. But at the end of the day, it's all a crock of shit.
1: Absolutely. And they're actually incentivized to move around a lot of money. So every time they buy and every time they sell, they make their commission then. So they're actually inclined to or incentivized to actively manage your money. So keep on moving it. So in 2006, the average Goldman Sachs employee actually made $622,000. So that's just in compensation from you know, managing people's money. Unbelievable.
0: As you say, there's misaligned incentives there. Our incentive is to get the highest return. Their incentive is to make a lot of trades so that they make a lot of commissions on the trades.
1: Hmm. So when it comes down to investing, you might think, all oh, right, well, you know, what about people like Warren Buffett? He's actually made 22% over 40 years. Peter Lynch is another person. He's made 29% on average over 13 years. Another dude, David Swenson, 16% over 23 years. So what Remit's saying is, yes, it is theoretically possible to consistently beat the market, which is around eight uh, percent after inflation. But it's the same way it is possible for me and you to become a heavyweight boxing champion. Yeah, you know, in anything you do, there's going to be uh, extreme outliers when there's millions of people doing something, and Warren Buffett is just an extreme outlier of someone who got extremely lucky at what they do.
0: Exactly. And there's, a, there's another, as a bit of a side note before we get into the solution to all of this mayhem, uh, was like these email scams. So he says that, you know, the, you might one day see in your, your email inbox someone saying, oh, I've got this uh, investing service you should check out. as a bit of a freebie here. This is my advice right now. And buy this stock or sell this stock or whatever. And the scam here, he says, that is they start with a massive list. So say, for example, they start with 2,000 people, they cold email, Half of them, they say, buy this. Half of them, they say, sell this. So essentially, half of them are going to be correct. Mm-hmm. So a 1,000 people just saw you get it right the first time. So pretty much they say, forget about those other 1,000 that we got wrong. Let's just focus on this 1,000. They split it again, and they send 500 people a buy signal and 500 people a sell signal. Again, they're going to get one of them right, and they cull it down again. And so now 500 people have seen you get it twice, uh, right twice in a row. Essentially, after the fourth one, that they've, there's 125 people that have now seen you get four correct things in a row. You've got 100% accuracy with, with them and now's the time when they start trying to sell you shit. Being like, yeah, I'm, I'm awesome. I'll pick four in a row. Buy in, I'll give you, and I'll, I'll sell you the next tip.
1: Mate, it sounds like a terrific idea, really. It's a well-planned, and well-executed strategy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an evil issue. idea. Yeah. Um, another study, which is right on top, here is of all these newsletters, Right, so in 1996, there was a study of 200 market-timing newsletters who were saying, you know, pick, this is the next big stock. It's going to go crazy. But 12 and a half years later, 94.5% of these newsletters had gone out of business. So they all <laughs> suck, really. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's no good.
1: <laughs> so what's the solution? So we've been rambling on about how shit all these financial investors are who are actively managing all their money. It all comes down to active versus passive managed funds.
0: And passive is a way to go. So,
1: rather than actively trying to manage
0: your funds of buying and selling and trying to time the market and pick the stocks, the best and most uh, successful long-term res- results on average is just passively managed funds. Yes. And so, it's things like exchange-traded funds or index funds where it literally is like, say, the, the top 200 companies, this fund represents uh, the weighted uh, average of the top 200 companies. So, they buy that and your
1: fund just tracks the average
0: of the whole market. Mm.
1: So, we are replacing the portfolio managers who are highly compensated with computers now. The computers don't try and uh, get the hottest stock. They pick the same stock that the index holds. So, for example, the, the Dow, which is the Dow Industrial Average, holds the top 30 publicly owned companies in the USA. So, when you buy a bit of the Dow, you're buying a small piece of the top 30 uh, and you're just taking the average of all of them. And because it's done by computers and not these fund managers, you're only paying 0.25% interest. So the in interest. Fees, yeah. Sorry, in the fees. The fees is completely obliterated compared to actively managing funds.
0: Exactly. So if you think that, say, on average, the stock market is as a whole is achieving 8%, you're paying your 0.25% fees, that's what you're achieving. Whereas, if these active managers, he says not only are they achieving worse results, so they might be achieving five, six, 7% returns, which is worse than you'd get by passively, they're also then charging you two, three, 4% in fees. So, when you subtract that out, it's a no brainer that passively are not only returning more, but you're also paying less fees. So, as a whole, it's just win 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 to go passive, not active.
1: So, next time someone says to you they're an absolute superstar investor, something you can do is ask them the question what were your after tax? after fee returns for the last 10, 15, and 20 years. And yes, their response must include all fees and taxes and and check if they actually beat the market over that longer period of time, including fees and taxes. And the reality is that none of them will be able to do that, really.
0: Yeah. And so that's what Ramit's <laughs> saying is next time that... You're looking for a fund manager. Forget about these active guys and just go for the nice, simple, and most effective, most successful passively managed, you know, index funds.
1: And it's a quick Google search if you guys want to go and check out more. There's there's a there's a whole heap out there. I know Vanguard's a big one. That's not mentioned in the book, but I, yeah. I know they're out there. But um, if you do a bit of research, you could save a lot of money over time. Just get away, get your money out of the hands of these active idiots.
0: So, in summary, uh, if you've got any credit card debt. The first and most important thing you should do is to pay that off as quickly as possible. We've also then set up our bank accounts. You know, we're not paying fees and we're getting the highest interest rates possible. We've set up our pension or our long-term savings. We've set up our automatic payments, uh, and we've realised that you know these financial experts are, are useless, and we're just going to invest our money in
1: passive index funds. Take control. So. Yeah, it's got a little bit more toward the end of the book, which uh, we're not going to get into about about buying a house and cars and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, overall, what what did you think of the book?
0: Uh, Pretty average or subpar even. (laughs) Say subpar. I found that there was um, some things he went into way too much detail. So, he went into way too much detail about what items are on a credit report and things like that. But then other things he talked about, like he talked about some ways to earn more money like negotiating a pay rise, Getting a high-paying job or starting a freelance business, and they were just like real skimmed over a couple of sentences on each. So I feel like he overweighted some unimportant elements of the book and underweighted some more important. Elements. Mate, when
1: you titled the book "I Will Teach You to Be Rich," that's a big promise. And Massive. I think
0: the <laughs> I don't think we're there
1: yet. I think the advice <laughs> in the book gets you nowhere near that. Um, if you ask from each how did you get rich? I don't think it was following his own advice about investing in the stock market. It was actually writing a book, starting selling a business, and selling it. books, selling online courses, and running a business that way. And none of the book really talks about that much stuff. So I think when you're saying old, he should be rich. It's not necessarily, I think, the case. You can get rich. You're probably gonna be rich when you're 70 years old, though. And and um, it's a slow life. It's a lot right? of sacrifice. <laughs> I'd
0: have to agree. I, I, I was expecting more. I don't know if it's just because it's there's a lot of crossover with some other books we've read,
1: but uh, didn't didn't love it. Sorry, roommate. Sorry, mate. And yeah, so just the title of the book doesn't really um, follow what it yeah what it should say. So I think it's a very poor book for me. I'm going four out of ten. Well, I'm going to go four as well. Four, oh. <laughs> but having said that, if it's the first time you come across active investing versus passive investing, I think that is a huge takeaway. And you know again, the book costs you twenty five bucks, and yeah. if you learn about that, then it's definitely worth a read.
0: I'll also say if you if you haven't read a, a personal finance book before, and if you're in 20 thirty k of debt, then spending 25 bucks to buy this book and read Chapter 1 and start on your way out of debt and stop paying these massive interest rates, that's a massive, massive ROI right there.
1: Yes, and that's if you read the good part of Chapter 1, yeah. not the other part that encourages you to use more, more and more credit cards, <laughs> yeah. which is probably the worst financial advice I've ever heard, even if you... You couldn't even try to find worse financial advice and um, encourage <laughs> you to go and um, max out at three credit cards or only one credit card per year or whatever. It's just a fucking joke, Ramit. <laughs> so you're in um, four out of ten, mate. So
0: it's safe to say, Ramit, uh, he didn't join us for an interview. Um, so <laughs> maybe next time.
1: I will teach you to be rich. Will not be part of the What You Will Learn book club this month. Sorry, Ramit Setty. This month, it was The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. So if you want to join the club, go to patreon.com slash what you will learn and hope to see you there.